Frances. Wait. Welcome, everyone, to episode 74 of The Richard Harris Show. Uh, for the past 73 shows, every every week we talk about two films starring Richard Harris, uh, and this show is going to be just the same. Uh, we're picking two films from uh, the year 1965 this week. Uh, Major Dundee, directed by Sam Peckinpah, and starring Charlton Heston and Richard Harris. Uh, and Heroes of Telemark, um, directed by Anthony Mann, Starring Kirk Douglas and obviously our hero Richard Harris. Uh, you, you wouldn't I, think we'd be able to come up with seventy-four episodes with two films starring Richard Harris in each episode, but I know the man but, was prolific. He really was. Uh, so yeah, a hearty Richard Harris hello to you, Sean. Yeah, and a Richard Harris hello to you. <laughs> uh, we're gonna turn the tables a bit today. You know, we we have done Richard Harris as our person of the week, uh, seventy-three weeks. Uh, running now, but we're actually going to turn the tables and talk about the director of uh, Major Dundee, Sam Peckinpah, uh, will be our person of the week this week. He's really, uh, he's the Richard Harris of directors. <laughs> he really is. Um, and we're going to pick our essential uh, resistance films and uh, some other stuff too. So um, I think we should uh, start with a clip from uh, Major Dundee uh, starring Richard Harris. Green stretches to vast new horizons in the epic story of a rabble regiment led by two bitter enemies, a major in blue, a captain in gray. To this day, their exploits echo in the legendary of the great Southwest. Charlton Heston, Richard Harris, Jim Hutton, James Coburn, Michael Anderson Jr., Santa Berger, Major Dundee, a legend born of savage violence. Pony soldier, I am Sierra Chariba. Who you send against me now? I want some volunteers. I want volunteers to fight the Apache Sierra Chariba. Captain Tyrene. Does the prospect of serving under your country's flag once again seem more attractive than dragging its chains in this prison? It is not my country, Major Dundee. I damn its flag and I damn you. And I would rather hang than serve. <laughs> Cavalier, an Irish potato farmer with a 
plumed hat fighting for a white column plantation house you never had and never will. Have you ever stopped to think why they made you a, a jailer instead of a soldier? Okay, that's a clip from Major Dundee, uh, the 1965 film from director Sam Peckinpah, starring Charlton Heston and our boy Richard Harris, uh, amongst others. There's a huge cast of, uh, of Peckinpah lowlives that show up in this movie. We can talk about them a little later uh, in the discussion. But the film uh, takes place at the tail end of the Civil War. Major Dundee, played by uh, Charlton Heston, takes a ragtag group uh into Indian territory, track down Apaches who have stolen, uh, kind of in a searchers-esque uh, storyline, uh, they've captured these children. And so Major Dundee's plan, which uh, everybody says is uh, a fool's errand and he shouldn't be doing it because, uh, for a number of reasons, And uh, but he's going to go back and get these kids. Uh, but he, he does it with uh, prisoners, you know, prisoners of war, uh, you know, drunks, like I said, lowlifes, uh, the six black regiment uh, that's there. And uh, being a peck and pot film, there's a lot of failure. <laughs> there's a lot of violence. Uh, and it's it's dirty, it's gritty, and uh, you loved it, Sean. I really did. <laughs> I think you're kind of underselling the lunacy of what Major Dundee is doing here. He's, he's leading a, a band of like 50 cavalrymen in an invasion of Mexico in order to chase after this Apache. And at the time, Mexico is, in, uh, is being occupied by the French army. So not only is he chasing after this, this band of, of Apache, he's got the French army on, on his trail. Yeah, he's, he's, and he's, getting, yeah, he's getting it from all sides. Um, and the question of why he's doing this, you know, he's at the beginning of the film, it's, you know, he, he's, he's kind of a warden for the most part. That's basically his job. And, um, it's alluded to, you know, he's been, he's like been punished for some, uh, failure to follow orders at Gettysburg and sent to like the end of the world to right. act as a, a jailer in this uh, uh, border outpost. Yeah. Uh, so he's, you know, he's, he's, he's looking he's, for glory and Yeah, he's and looking redemption. for his last bit of glory. Yeah. Uh, and he does it in the most uh, ridiculous way possible. So um, this movie is, is probably more famous for, um, kind of the production troubles that came along with it. Uh, Peckinpah was guaranteed a, a fairly respectable budget and plenty of time to shoot it. And then right before they were going to begin filming, found out that the budget was being slashed by 75% and that he had uh, about two weeks to film uh, the movie. So there's a lot of stuff that was left out, uh, a lot of battle scenes and stuff that fills in the blanks. Um, and being a Peck and Pa film, it's also it was very contentious on set. Uh, the crew did not get along with Peck and Pa. Well, Peck and Pa didn't get along with anybody, basically. Um, and and uh, Richard Harris and Charlton Heston didn't get along with one another either. Heston thought Harris was a slacker, um, and 
Yeah, I'm pretty it's, sure it's, Charlton so, Heston thought everyone was a slacker. I, it's absolutely true. I think I think something I read about it was Heston showed up every morning on time and then timed everybody else that came in and and uh, berated them for showing up late. Yeah, uh, and and Peckinpah, as as he did for most of his career, had a serious drinking problem, and that was like the source of most of his problems on set. Here is that he was just drunk all the time. Yes, um, and. We're going to talk about him more in depth during the person of the week segment of, of the show. But uh, but you can't talk about this film without really without talking about Peckinpah, because it is a Peckinpah movie through and through. As I said in the intro, you know, it's 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 grittier, it's bloodier, it's more depressing than other movies of its era. And, you know, this is pre Wild Bunch, which is kind of the demarcation line with his stuff, kind of where that's. That was the one that that he pushed everything to the absolute max. But stuff that came before it, including this and um, some other films, we'll probably talk about later. Um, the hallmarks of what he does is on dis- are, are on display here, um, yeah. and I love that stuff. I I really love Peckinpah. I really do. I do think this is my least favorite film of his because and because of those growing pains, because of those those moments where it doesn't really you know, it can't fully commit to stuff um, because of the budget or because, you know, it was, it was butchered and all those other things. Um, So, yeah, I don't know which, which version of this did you watch? I watched the extended cut, the 123 minute version. I know there are three, I think there are three cuts. 123 is the theatrical, 136 is the extended cut. Okay. Well, the cut I watched was labeled the extended cut, but it was only 123 minutes. Okay, that's the theatrical cut. Okay. The the two hour and fifteen minute cut is the is the restored version. Uh, it was restored in two thousand five. Uh, a lot of uh, this was it wasn't really his director's cut. Like his original cut was four hours and forty minutes long, which right. uh, which would have been amazing. But eventually he cut it down to a hundred and fifty six minute version. And then for release, it was like 136. And then uh, after its initial release, it was cut down again to 123. And uh, Peck and Paw hated that. Yeah. And also, it had uh, what? What was the score like on the one that you had? Did it have the Mitch Miller song? Uh, the the one with the the Major Dundee March. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It had yeah. That. Okay. Yeah, that's the theatrical version. The restored cut has a, an entirely different score that was created in 2005 uh, on the theory that it would match better what Peckinpah actually wanted. So, which version did you see? That version? Yes. Well, see, maybe that's where we dis- that's why we disagree. Yeah, I, 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 I wonder if that is the source of of our differing reactions to this because you're you're kind of middling on it. Or if not, you said it was your least favorite Peckinpah, whereas I I really loved it. it it's uh, I don't know that it's my favorite because I really love Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid, but uh, I like this movie a lot. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Well, so here's here's the story. Uh, well, you know the story, but mm-hmm. the listeners don't know the story. Sure. I was out of town uh, for several days leading up to this, and so I had I had to scramble at the end uh, to to get these movies in today, um, and I I went on to Amazon Instant, which is uh-huh. what I rarely do. 
but they listed the extended cut, and so I assumed it was correct, and that's mm. what I downloaded and I watched. So I now now I'm kicking myself because now I want to go out and check out the extended cut because this is you know this isn't the only Peck and Paul movie like you said Pat Garrett same thing yeah where where there's uh, the real the meat and potatoes cut of it uh, is superior and. Um, yeah, and uh, there's a, a list on on Wikipedia of, of the stuff that has been cut out, and it's mostly just kind of background, like character type stuff. There's like uh, some more comic touches and more just kind of fleshing out the uh, the various troop that are going along on the mission. Uh, there's like an extended scene of when uh, Dundee is wounded and he's kind of falling apart in Durango. Uh, oh, I saw that. Yeah, I guess there's there's more of it. Okay. Uh, there's uh, there's a scene where the the Confederates, like early in the film, are introduced as they're attempting to escape, and it explains why they're going to be killed because they killed a guard during their escape attempt. Okay. See, now I think I saw that cut because I okay. that was in there. Okay. So, but That's, I swear it was two hours and three minutes. But weird. But it had the song. Thus, it shouldn't have the song. Yeah, it had a song with marching and and singing about Dun, you know, Major Dundee or something. Yeah, yeah, that's this is really weird. Anyway, well, this conversation maybe the, maybe there's a, yeah there <laughs> maybe there is a third version that has the original score and some of the scenes that were cut out. I don't huh. know. Uh, All right, I do know that the version <laughs> I saw is amazing. <laughs> uh, well, it uh, there's there's a lot going on in this movie. Like it's. Uh, there, it's so kind of potent a story. It it has so many uh, uh, possible things that it could be an allegory for that I I really kind of love just thinking about what it all meant. And like I think uh, there's kind of clear parallels to the Vietnam War, which was ongoing at the time, but not really when the project was conceived. Uh, there's of course the story of the Civil War with a uh, a leader trying to hold this country together for a, a common goal. There's kind of uh, a, a popular theory is that it's a variation on Moby Dick with the, uh, the Apache uh, uh, chieftain as the white whale and Heston right. as the Ahab figure. There's a lot of references to John Ford films, uh, including even uh, uh, one of Ben Johnson's or one of John Ford's favorite actors, uh, Ben Johnson in a, a small supporting role. Uh, but my favorite is is it's kind of the story of Sam Peckinpah making a movie because you have this lunatic dictatorial figure uh, leading this ragtag band into Mexico and on this crazy mission and then drinking himself nearly to death. <laughs> and that's kind of Sam Peckinpah at work. Like Heston has a few really great lines in this movie, but but one of my favorite is is when he is drunk in Durango, uh, and Richard Harris is confronting him, trying to get him to sober up. He says uh, Heston says, uh, "Yes, Harris, why he doesn't drink?" And he says, "I uh, Heston says I drink, but I don't drink enough," mm-hmm. which is uh, is such like this this poignant line from this guy who is who is in the middle of this kind of horrible adventure that he has caused. I I really what, I really loved it. What, one of my favorite lines in this movie, and I wonder if this was intentional or not. But there's a line also when he's in Durango and he's uh, 
he's being mended and uh and harris gives him advice and says don't go out on the street you know something along the lines of like you you wouldn't pass for a mexican or something like that uh which you know we all know touch of evil Mm -hmm. uh charlton heston played a mexican and i was Uh, like that's a cute little uh yeah i don't don't know if it's a, a nod to that or not but uh I, I thought that was really funny. Yeah. Um, I really, yeah. I really love the scene that comes kind of just about halfway through the film with Heston and the uh, the woman, the German woman. They meet in uh, uh, Teresa. They meet in this in this small Mexican village that's been looted by uh, by the French, by Mexican bandits, by the Apaches, and now by the Americans. And and uh, Heston and Harris both have kind of like a rivalry for her, and. Uh, Charlton Heston is talking to her about Richard Harris, who she's kind of smitten with, and uh, and Heston says uh, he is corrupt, but I will save him. I yeah, which is such a, a great per- line. It's such a perfect Charlton Heston line. Yeah, um, I do think that that I, I feel like the the romance thing is the is the weakest part of this movie, and mm-hmm. if you jettisoned all of that, if you got rid of that woman completely. I think this would have been a better movie. Um, I don't know. I, I think uh, I think you kind of need the the kind of the home front scenes, and it's it's a it's almost exactly halfway through the film before she appears, and there's been no women through the entire first half of the movie, and it just kind of uh, she gives like a sense of of uh, just a, a sense of everything that they are alienated from because the, these people have all been at war for at least five years if not longer like uh uh i think the the richard harris character had been in mexico during the mexican war so so they're like career army guys they've been doing this for at least 20 years and you know there's this whole kind of normal life that they are cut off from well there's speaking of lines i mean that's even said in the text somewhere where they someone says when the war is over and i think she even says like well it won't be for you or something you know it never will be for you or something like that yeah uh, um, well cuz he's yeah cuz he's going to like he's going to carry the war with him right. forever uh well he's going to pick a war you know <laughs> yeah, he can one, one or the other like yeah. yeah he can't he can't escape from the war and that's but, and that's like the really interesting thing about 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 dundee is is he's he's insane right he's leading an invasion of a foreign country for no particular reason and despite orders, but he's also really good at it. Yeah. He's a very, well, and that, that's what, yeah, that's where the, um, the drama from the whole thing comes is, is he's a man at the beginning that we see that is capable. He's confident. He's, uh, you know, completely, uh, functional as a, as a major, Mm-hmm. And and to see him in this diminished role, as we as we said, as like a warden for these you know um, these guys, and not being able to put his skills to the you know test is uh, that's where the excitement from the movie comes from, and, and the drama that's inherent in that. Um, yeah, we see his like various maneuvers and and strategies that he he goes about, and and it is it's really kind of genius. I mean, it's all it's all fictional. Like there are, there were. Uh, incidents like this when where union and confederate soldiers would like band together to fight indians like in minnesota and the mexican border around this time but this this whole story is is phony right well what i read this 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 kind of was the consolation prize um 
Yeah, he was he was going to do a Custer movie. Yeah, he was going to do a Custer movie, and and he thought you know, and and for some reason was thwarted, and he thought that this would be a a, a good way of cap you know tackling some of those same themes and stuff. Um, yeah, I what, think I think this is much better than any any Custer movie would have been. <laughs> no, I I agree. I mean, there's although more- it is it is it's very much in 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 dialogue with with John Ford's Custer movie, which is which is Ford Apache. Mm-hmm. This like very conscious. And- uh, kind of variations on on Ford scenes, uh, the so you, ser- the searchers and and Ford Apache. So you think this is better than Ford Apache? No, 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 no. Oh, oh, oh okay. Uh, you said better than a uh, Custer movie. Well, yeah, uh, better. I'm, <laughs> I'm thinking of uh, of Raoul Walsh's Custer movie with Errol Flynn, which mm-hmm. is not good. Right. Um, but yeah, Ford Apache, um, Ford Apache is. Might be my favorite John Ford film. So. It's it's really good. Yeah, it's really really good. Um, I think part of the this is is kind of uh, the duality of this movie. Part of the my frustration with the film, but also something about it that I really respect and actually admire about it, is the movie's never really paying off what it's setting up. Like it's it's a movie about frustrations and about failures and stuff and. Time and again, that's played out in the plot of the movie where, you know, the the goal at the beginning of the movie is we're going to save these kids. You know, that's what we're going to do. And then without anything really happening, like action wise or anything, the kids just show up and they yeah. get the kids back and they send and and they send the kids back to, um, you know, a safe haven. Um, but then Dundee, you know, goes on because it's n- now not about getting the kids back. It's about you know, uh, defeating the Apaches. Yeah. The kids were, were an excuse. Right. And then we get the, um, and then we get the, the, you know, climactic battle with the Apaches, which is about a minute long. It's shot day, uh, day for night. Um, and it's, it, it's very anticlimactic. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I mean, it, it's, uh, it's one of Dundee's stratagems that is, that turns out he, he finally outsmarts the Apache who's been ahead of him, uh, every step of the way. And he, you know, he finally, uh, comes up with a, he tricks them instead of the other way around. Yeah. But it's over so quickly and it, and it's, it's, you don't get a kind of revel in that victory so to speak. Yeah. Um, because, and, because like the French show up. Right. So it's a movie that it's constantly um, teasing out something, you know, that uh, it's dangling a certain carrot in front of you. And then when you finally get to the carrot, the carrot is uh, rotten or something like that. And yeah. But so the, it, the, the really climactic battle though is, is really cool. The one against the French. No, but see before that, but even before that, the, the whole movie is, is also setting up on a parallel track this confrontation between Heston and Harris where it's like, okay, when he beats the Apache, now these two, the two main stars characters of the film are going to go at each other and then they don't get to do that. And so it's a, it's, you know, because of the French uh, attack, which is well played out. And I think it's great, but um, it's another kind of narrative uh, dead end. Well, you, you, you know, they're never going to, have their showdown like it, it can't end that way like it's it's inevitable that one of them is going to die in the way that that one of them dies at, at the end of the film like there, there's never going to be it, it can't be resolved the conflict between them well rationally it can't but 
but the movies, uh, in my opinion, the, the the way I felt watching the movies, the movies really pushing for you to want that. Yeah, see, I don't, I don't think, I don't think it is because, uh... because I mean, which which among them is is right? Who is the the more honorable? They're one? both wrong. Yeah, they're they're both kind of terrible people, but they're but they both both have like these really admirable qualities. Like uh, 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 Richard Harris is the 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 Confederate uh, captain, who, in a really unusual move for a 1965 film referencing the Civil War, uh, he and, and Heston have a discussion about what the war was actually about, and Heston's like, "No, it's about slavery, dude." Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, that was really great. And 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 any kind of any handling in this movie of at least. Uh, relations, you know, in regards to uh, the treatment of black people in this movie, mm-hmm. you know, we can we can say what we want about the uh, the Apache or whatever, but um, uh, is great, especially for 1965. There's the yeah. great scene of uh, one of the Confederates, you know, one of the lackeys, you know, demanding that one of the black soldiers, you know, take off his boots for him, and uh, yeah, that the, scene is fantastic. Yeah, it's uh, uh, Brock Peters is playing the the. Uh like the leader of the black soldiers and he he's really good he uh, he went on he's to being uh, star trek <laughs> he did a lot of stuff on star trek he was like the father of the captain of deep space nine that's good to know i i'm not yeah. i'm not a, i'm not a trekkie the, so, the supporting cast here is really cool like uh uh there's there's brock peters there's uh you didn't mention james coburn a one-armed i was, I was saving him i was saving him a one-armed james coburn <laughs> That was my favorite character in the movie, yeah. James Coburn. Who's a he's a tracker, um, and uh, yeah, he's one armed and he's totally badass and he's got a cool beard. And there's uh, uh, being a Sam Peckinpah movie. There's Warren Oates and and he has like his one like great scene, which isn't which isn't all that good up until the end when he does like Warren Oates stuff and he's just amazing. Uh, my favorite surprise performance though, because like. I really like Heston in this, and he's an actor who's really grown on me over the years, and and I think this is one of his best. But the the one that really surprised me is uh, Jim Hutton, who plays the the artillery lieutenant, yeah. who's like a, a stickler, and he is hilarious. And his character is really interesting in in the ways that he kind of like grows throughout the film. And uh, I didn't know that actor, but he's Timothy Hutton's father. Who's Timothy Hutton? Oh my god! <laughs> he I mean, won the, he won the, he won the Oscar but... for Ordinary People. Oh! Oh! Yeah! 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 yeah. Okay! Yeah! 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 It's it's a com it's a, it's a it's a name that kind of goes in uh-huh. one ear and out the other. Yeah. Uh, no, he's good. Um, and and there's other people like Slim Pickens is in there for like half a minute and stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, oh, and uh, the the kid who plays the the bugler, who's like the narrator, it's ostensibly his diary that the film is based on. Uh, he is the son of uh, Michael Anderson, who directed uh, Logan's Run, which oh. we talked about two years ago on the show. Yeah, and unfortunately, actually, uh, that that character and his performance is probably uh, my. That's another reason I can't love this movie, because uh, he sucks. He's uh, <laughs> he sucks. I think he's like intentionally. No, don't no uh, like he that. Sucks. He's intentionally out of place and and naive and and young and I think I think no, he's fine. His, his his narration is so stilted and jarring to the whole. Uh, it's it's period appropriate. <laughs> I, 
I I just I just I just watched the entirety of the Ken Burns Civil War documentary. It is period appropriate. That's that's what they wrote like. I'm not saying that's what I'm not saying the writing is bad. I'm saying his uh, his delivery of the the. I think I think it's fine. I think it's fine. It's it's weak. It's weak. But uh, but no, but the cast for the most part is really great, and, and a lot of these people, as I said at the beginning, uh, do show up uh, in a lot of Peck and Pa films, uh, including The Wild Bunch. Um, li- you know, uh, about a half decade later. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's a good movie. I mean, I, I I and I'm interested to see which cut I saw now. I'm I'm, I'm tempted to go down and check on the TV again because I swear it was two hours and three minutes. But um, hmm. but yeah, I was I, I was frustrated by it. Um, and I, I think that there are Peck and Pop films that coalesce a lot better than this movie. But see, I, being, I like that it's I like its sprawlingness. I like that that it is. But it doesn't it is sprawl a little, enough. It's to me. It, uh, I think it, it, it like sprawls. It sprawls just the right amount. Like it, 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 it teases out all of these ideas, all of these parallels that you can draw from it without. It's not. It's not trying to give us a coherent statement about war or violence or the men who practice these things. It's just kind of throwing this into this like lunatic experience, and yeah, and I, I thought that was. I thought it was really, really powerful and really moving. I see. I feel like if you're gonna if you're gonna take that Moby Dick, you know, track of this, like go full force with that. Do that four hour cut that was rumored about it. You know, like well, make sure. It... I mean, I, I I'm sure I would love the four and a half hour version of this. Yeah. I so I feel like there was a, there was a lot left to be uh, desired here. Uh, but it's not. But it's not bad. I'm not saying it's bad. I give it. A, I give it a good grade. I think it. You know. It's it's a peck and pop film. It's got those. I mean, the opening scene is great. Like it, um, you see slaughtered. Uh, you know, the guy hanging upside down. Um, yeah. I mean, it's brutal stuff. Yeah, I mean, um, it's it's really it's not as violent as as the Wild Bunch. Like Wild Bunch has like those those scenes of uh, of death, and it's got uh, like a lot of slow motion. And apparently, Peck and Pa's like original cut had a lot of that um, for this one as well. But I don't, I don't, there's no slow motion for any of the scenes that I recall. Like all of the action is, is really quick. It's cut quickly. Uh, it's not. But the, but the aftermath is lingered upon. And I think that yeah. that's something that you didn't get. You know, I mean, yeah, the, the Wild Bunch was, I mean, that pushed it all on the table. Um, but, but this and some of his earlier stuff, there, there's definitely that, those elements in there. Yeah, um, I'd, I'd prefer this to the Wild Bunch. I'm not sure. Do about, you really? I do. Uh, I'm not sure about Packard and Billy the Kid, but I, I, wow. I prefer it to the Wild Bunch. Interesting. Well, we'll have that conversation. Uh, Wild, Wild Bunch to me is 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 so much more enclosed and so much more cynical about the universe. And I mean, it it's Peck and Paw, so it's like a degree of cynicism. But uh, I I like this more. I like the I like the expansiveness of it. I like the scope. Okay. Whereas well, uh, Wild Bunch seems so constricted. Well, we'll uh, we'll get into more of that uh, in, after the break here. Okay. <laughs> so uh, we're gonna t- t- you know tying in with Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid, we're gonna be listening to music uh, from Chris Christopherson this week. Um, this this first song uh, has the devil in it uh, because it's Sam Peckinpah. <laughs> so this is uh, the title track off of his second album, The Silver Tongue Devil and I. 
I took myself down to the Tally Ho Tavern to buy me a bottle of beer. And I sat me down by a tender young maiden whose eyes were as dark as her hair. And as I was searching from bottle to bottle for something unfoolish to say, that silver tongued devil just slipped from the shadows and smiling. Away. I said, hey, little girl, don't you know he's the devil? He's everything that I ain't. Hiding intentions of evil under the smile of the saint. All is good for is getting in trouble and shifting his share of the blame. And some people swear he's my double, and some even say we're the same. But the silver tongue devil's got nothing to lose. I feel like I'm not drinking the, the proper beverage for a show on, on Sam Peckinpah. Instead of a, a Diet Coke, I should have like a bottle of tequila or something. Yeah, you definitely should. I also have too many eyes. Too many eyes? Doesn't oh. he, wasn't he like one of the one-eyed directors? Uh, yeah. Was that I, Sam Peckinpah? I think, yeah, I don't know. Was he one of the one-eyed ones? I don't know. He should have been if he wasn't. <laughs> anyway. He had a third eye. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, so, yeah, um, we're gonna, we, uh, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> We we dispensed with the news a while ago, uh, but uh, one one story that we've we've like covered off and on throughout the year is uh, the demise of the dissolve, and uh, we wanted to note some some good news for for that show is that they are back in podcast form under the film spotting umbrella, which is which is neat, good good for them. Except Sean believes they ripped us off. I don't. I wouldn't say that because. <laughs> oh, that's not in, what you said. Well, in or, in order to have ripped us off, they would have to like be aware of our existence, and and not one of those people has ever acknowledged our existence in any way whatsoever. But the the format for their podcast is uh, is eerily similar to what we do here on the George Sanders Show. Uh, not that not that you know this is a revolutionary idea that we had here, but you know it is something with with two and a half years of existence behind it but you know what are you gonna do i i would i would like to point out that the 
conspiracy theory was a lot stronger coming from you a few days ago than uh, than you're letting on at this point. <laughs> oh, I, I, that was exaggerating over uh, oh. <laughs> over text message. You didn't you didn't get my uh, my tone, my dry wit. I literally asked you in the text, "Are you serious?" And you said, <laughs> "You said sort of." <laughs> Oh lordy! Yeah. Uh, yeah, good for them. Uh, another podcast. Yeah, is... what is it? It's the it's the next picture show, which is not the last picture show. Was no, that was show? the Peter Bogdanovich movie. I oh, I thought it was actually just called that named after the. Okay, I could be no. wrong. No, regardless, it's not. It goes as to good show a... you how much I paid attention. Yeah, it's not as good a name as the George Sanders show, obviously. Hey, this is the Richard Harris show. Oh, sorry. Excuse me. Yes. <laughs> but they have much higher production values than that, than we do. So, so. Have you listened to it? No. <laughs> <laughs> but I guarantee they have much higher production values than we do. Well, it I'm would be difficult picture. not to. Right. I'm sitting in a closet hiding from my dog, so I don't know how I could get. I, I've listened to a lot of podcasts, and it's there are some that have worse than us. There, there are some that just like don't bother to edit anything at all. Like I was listening to. Uh, a football one the other day and one of the guys like their Skype connection broke down and for like three minutes it was just like dead air. That's stupid. And they didn't edit it out. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean we, we well, do we, we, we do like the, the minimum effort. Like that is no effort. We do a minimum amount of effort. Okay. Uh, we could use some tidier editing I'm sure. Yeah, but... Well you're you're welcome to do it once i've offered you don't trust me <laughs> all right so let's move on to <laughs> our uh, our person of the week speaking of uh megalomaniacal drunken geniuses uh that's right <laughs> sam peckinpah yes sam peckinpah was a director he was yeah. a drunk he was a writer he was a drunk um yeah, Peckinpah, uh, most famous, obviously, for The Wild Bunch, the ultra-violent film that came at the uh, the end of the 60s, um, and it ushered in a new kind of era of screen violence, and also, in many people's minds, it also uh, killed the Western once and for all. Uh, both of those claims, I think, are a little over-exaggerated, but, um, but he, you know, he, he does kind of... He he he's a larger than life figure that can kind of handle those kinds of larger than life claims. I guess is a is a good way of putting it. Uh, with Sam Peckinpah, um, you just said that you you don't think the Wild Bunch is 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 better than Major Dundee. So do you think Major Dundee is the best uh, Peckinpah film that you've seen? Uh, like I said, I I'm not sure. It might be Packard and Billy the Kid. I re I really love that movie. Might be Convoy as well. I haven't I haven't seen Convo. You know, I've only I've only seen a handful of his films. There's there's these three and uh, Alfredo Garcia and Ride the High Country are the only ones that I've seen. Mm. Ride the High Country is so good. It it really is. It it uh, I think it it kind of uh, if I remember the story right on that, it kind of started life as a Bud Bedecker film or is like a, as a Bud Bedecker homage. It's got Randolph Scott and and Joel McRae. Uh, it feels more Bedecker y than it does Peckinpah y. Yeah, maybe in the beginning. Yeah. Uh, but as the movie goes on, my, my first time watching it, actually, I think uh, 
I said this on Letterboxd. Uh, I've seen it twice now, and I, I oh, it's just so good. Uh, the first half of it, I was like, this doesn't feel like a Peck and Paw movie. Where's all the you know drunks and rapists and all these you know the horrible people and stuff? And then it gets to the mining camp, and they oh, they're all the drunks and rapists and you know sure it's like... and all that stuff. Um, and it gets pretty ugly there, and it is so God, it's such a great ending. Um, yeah. And and it was such a great ending that Randolph Scott, I think, made it his last movie. I think he chose to go out with that. And Joel McRae, I think, did a couple other things. But it, for, for those two actors, it was kind of their swan song. Um, and it's such a good portrait of uh, kind of that no country for old men thought of, of you know, the new guard coming in and, and uh, no place in this world for them anymore. Yeah, it's really a, a transitional film for for the western genre and just kind of for the hollywood action movie moving away from from the 50s from like the westerns of of john ford anthony mann bud bedeker into like this new territory that that peck and pa and others uh uh sergio leone clint eastwood would would take things in the 1960s yeah and it's and it's you know, he did some TV before it, but it's it's only his second feature film, and which is kind of shocking because it's a very confident film, um, and and yeah, well, I, I think it, it I think that like... comes from the the television experience. Like television in the 1950s, they were working so much that it was like this like amazing apprenticeship apprenticeship system that you used to get in, in working in the studios, but in the 50s and 60s, you got it in television. Um, yeah. Uh, and yeah, and I haven't seen his first film, The Deadly Companions, but uh, I've seen so I've seen the ones that you mentioned, um, Ride the Hair Country, Pat Garrett, uh, Wild Bunch, obviously. Um, and also, he he was he was an old man by that. Well, he wasn't an old man; he was middle age. He was he was uh, like in his late thirties when he did Ride the High Country, which is for a second feature film. He that's a lot of life experience going into that. Yeah, well, he didn't. Yeah, I wouldn't say he he didn't get for, far into middle age. He died uh, fifty nine, which is you know. I mean, yeah, well, he had he had a very short career, yeah. for obvious reasons. <laughs> yeah, um, the only the one that I've seen that you haven't is uh, another one of his more controversial films, or or <laughs> you can take his name out of there. Just one of the more controversial films uh, from the late sixties, early seventies, and that's Straw Dogs. Um, yeah with dustin hoffman and that movie is brutal yeah. oh my god <laughs> i don't know if i like it uh i it, it's a it's 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 the it's definitely the most despicable movie of his that i've seen and it's 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 tough to sit through but it's really impressive nonetheless yeah. um but that's what he does and the wild bunch for me is really interesting because the first time i watched it I was kind of like, you know, it's it's kind of, it's such a, a name movie. You know, you go into it like, I'm about to watch The Wild Bunch. And I was kind of bored with it for a bit. And I was like, I don't know, this is kind of, I don't know, this isn't what it's cracked up to be. But I got to say, the famous ending really pays off. Like, mm -hmm. it, it is so ridiculous and just... I mean, he really goes all out in that, and and that is what swayed me on the movie. I want to see it again. It's been a while, but uh, I really love the final fifteen minute shootout in that movie, which is just just gutsy as all hell and uh, really over the top and ridiculous. 
um, and totally fun because of it and sad. <laughs> yeah, it's su- it's such a dark movie. It's yeah, I I really I I like it, but it's 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 hard for me to watch because it is so so bleak. Yeah. Uh, whereas uh, Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid, I think, is a little more is a little more open. Like there's there's like this amazing scene with uh uh who is it? Is it uh uh Slim Pickens? Bob Dylan. No, yeah, it's it's uh it's Slim Pickens, uh or Chill Wills. Uh like his death scene where he's like sitting on the side of the river and he's been shot in the stomach and he's like watching the sunset with with his wife as he dies and it's uh yeah, it's it's really beautiful, and there's nothing like that in the Wild Bunch. No, there's no room for beauty in the Wild Bunch. Yeah, yeah. Um, which I, you know, I commend. Who needs beauty? It's you know, it's time to time, but uh, yeah, yeah. I I, I really I, I haven't seen a Peck and Paw movie that I didn't like. Um, and I and I, and there are a few that I do really love. I you know I might say looking at looking at them all over again and, and having just talked about, it, I think High Country might be uh, the one that takes the cake. It's really? such a good movie. I don't know. I it's that or Wild Bunch. I don't know. Um, I haven't seen The Getaway. I do want to see The Getaway, um, which uh, stars Steve McQueen. And you know I just watched. Um, Earlier this week, gearing up for sixty-five, I watched uh, the Cincinnati Kid, which, uh, yeah. which is it's not, not that good. good. Yeah, no, it's not. But Peckinpah was the original director on that one, and I, it would have been a lot it, better. It would have been so much better, right? Yeah, it would have been so much better. Um, but you know, win some, you lose some. So. Yeah. So yeah, so that's Sam Peckinpah. He's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, he's he's he's, you know. He and I have nothing in common. <laughs> no, like really, like nothing in common. I, I'm pretty sure he would hate us. He would hate us. He would hate us, right? Yeah. But, but I think he's really cool. Um, yeah. Even though he's a horrible, <laughs> despicable person, I think he's really cool. Yeah, that's, I mean, speaking of the Cincinnati Kid, it's harder. It's hard to think of two directors, like two successful directors, more opposite than Sam Peckinpah and Norman Jewison. Right. <laughs> It's like, how does somebody think those two guys could do the same project? Yeah, that's yeah. Because if you, because Cincinnati Kid could be a ride the high country thing of like passing the torch to a new generation, and it tries to be that with Steve McQueen taking over for Edward G. Robinson. But yeah, um, it could have been a really cool movie. Yeah, but it's not. It is not at all. <laughs> so, uh, but you know what is cool? Resistance. Yeah, and that is our uh, that is our tie-in here on the show. Uh, we're gonna pick our essential resistance films, uh, which is the theme of the Heroes of Telemark, which we'll be talking about in just a minute. Um, and th- there are a lot of options for this, but um, and we talked at the beginning of the show how strict do we want to be? Do we want it to be World War II resistance? Do we want it to, you know, or is it just anybody being occupied? Um, yeah, and... re- resistance against an occupied like foreign power. So like Seven Samurai, like a village resisting bandits, is not does not count. Right, and you know we're going to be talking about resistance next time on the show uh, when we talk about Star Wars. But uh, that's true. That, that is also uh, disqualified, in my opinion. Sure. <laughs> Galactic resistance <laughs> is out of the show. So, uh, so what did you pick, Sean, for your uh, resistance? Pick? 
you know what? I, I, I thought of some stuff. I thought about The Train, which we talked about on the show, and uh, Jean-Pierre Melville's Army of Shadows, about the French Resistance, and uh, uh, Zheng Wen's Devils on the Doorstep, about uh, kind of a... Uh, a reluctant Chinese resistance to uh, Jack- Japanese occupation uh, during World War II. Uh, but I am going with the the movie that started this episode, and it's Casablanca. A great pick. Yeah, I mean it's a, it's an obvious pick, but uh, I mean it is it's about it's about a lot of things. Casablanca is a great movie, obviously, but it it's ultimately about like getting past cynicism and opportunism in order to kind of sacrifice your own well-being for a cause greater than yourself. And that is essentially what resisting an occupying army is all about. Yes. Because it's easy to collaborate and it's hard to resist. Plus, you know, it's a good movie. <laughs> I don't think I have to like really sell anybody on Casablanca. Well, I think you picked it before for something like completely different too, like a yeah. different like like that's the good that's what's so cool about a movie like Casablanca or there, there's so many movies like that. Citizen Kane is one of them, you know, where you can ascribe so I mean obviously the resistance part of it is really it's I mean it's literally baked into the the substance of it, but you can pick that movie for essential so many different kinds of things, you know, yeah. um, and, and that's a really special thing because there aren't that many movies that you can do that with. So like Casablanca is definitely one of them. Yeah. I mean, and, and everybody loves Casablanca and it's like a, a, it's almost a cliche to talk about how great it is because everybody thinks that, but it's, it's one of the, the movies that has earned that reputation, like, like Citizen Kane. Right. Like, I think it's I think it's that good. I think it's better than Citizen Kane. I don't think it's better than Citizen Kane, but uh, but sure. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's one of my favorite movies. I think it's one of the I best know, movies. I, I, and you've been championing it for a long, long time, and uh, and that's yeah. great. You yeah. know, it, the movies like that, in a way, need torchbearers just as much as like the unheralded movies do as well. You know, yeah. because because people do take them for granted and. Um, and you need someone that can actually be like, no, it actually deserves its reputation and, and, you know, someone that's passionate, really passionate about that. So, uh, well, I also thought of, uh, resistance movies like, uh, army of shadows, which is really, 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 really good. Uh, and the train, uh, which we talked about on the show before. And, uh, but ultimately I had to go with the train, uh, from John Frankenheimer, uh, because that movie's fucking awesome. <laughs> it really is. I, I mean, you could go back and listen to that episode of the show and hear me gush about it for 40 minutes at length. But <laughs> damn it, if I didn't love the train. And watching Heroes of Telemark, uh, I was wishing I was watching the train. Yeah, I I guess we'll, we'll get to that when we talk about Heroes of Telemark. But uh, yes. Uh, the train is so good. I mean, it's so... it's. Oh, it's it, Bert, it's Burt Lancaster attempting to save art from Nazis, but it's it's like so much more than that too. It's so much more than that. It's beautiful to look at. It's black and white. Uh, the action is stellar. Um, it's you know it's it it it's it's a movie that shows you know we've all seen a billion World War II movies you know, uh, but it but it shows you know one facet of that story you haven't seen before. Yep. 
Um, and in a way that you haven't seen it in a way in like a detail and and focus and yeah, Yeah, it's just a a slam bang production. It's, you know, it's over two hours, but it, it just flies right by. And it's, it's just a movie that I, um, I, like, I want to share with people. I've been taught ever since we watched it. Uh, I've been wanting to share it with everybody I know. <laughs> like, have you seen the train? It's fucking awesome. Yeah, you you, uh, you bonded with Bong Joon Ho over a shared love of the train. That's right. <laughs> exactly. You can listen to that episode too if you want, people. Uh, yes, it it's it's just a powerful piece of filmmaking that builds to this really great uh, climax. That is is it 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 takes the the larger you know the huge atrocities and everything that was going on and. And winnows it down to you know, one guy against one guy, and it and it, but it's there's so much riding on it, and it's just great. Yeah, it's great. I love the train. Yeah, I want to watch the train again. <laughs> yeah, I kind of wish we'd watch the train instead of uh, the movie we're going to talk about next. Here's I mean, it's not, well, we'll get to it. Here's a clip <laughs> from the heroes of Telemark. Telemark, a love story torn straight from the pages of real life. The Heroes of Telemark, a picture of terrifying suspense against the panorama of rugged grandeur. The Heroes of Telemark, Kirk Douglas, Richard Harris, Ula Jacobson, Michael Redgrave. Their mission stopped the Nazis from developing the atom bomb. So the Heroes of Telemark, uh, like Major Dundee, came out in 1965, and it is a war movie. Uh, I don't think we mentioned that, that it's Veterans Day week, so this is our annual uh, war movie episode. Uh, That's why we picked both of these. And also 1965 is our year for this year. In just a couple of episodes from now, actually, we'll be handing out our, our bests of 1965, and I'm pretty sure neither of us will have any mention for of heroes of telemark on that show uh it is a hey, richard harris is getting best actor it is it is like i said a world war ii movie it is about the norwegian resistance uh richard harris enlists uh kirk douglas in a scheme to prevent the nazis from developing heavy water which they need in order to make uh, a nuclear weapon basically uh, there's a factory in the north of Norway. Uh, they have a small group of Norwegian commandos. They infiltrate the factory and blow up the heavy water, only to have the Nazis uh, get right back up with, with production after that. They try a couple of other schemes. Nothing really works. The Nazis are on their trail. Eventually, uh, they, uh, they win because the Nazis did not develop an atomic bomb. It's all based on fact. It's got a a big cast of entirely non-Norwegian people. Uh, It is generic and kind of boring. And (laughs) there are like hints of a a, a strong moral dilemma that is there in the screenplay uh, where 
uh, Kirk Douglas in order to prevent the greater evil of the Nazis developing an atomic bomb, which he alone knows what that actually means because they haven't been invented yet. Um, he's willing to sacrifice lots of innocent lives in order to stop them. And Richard Harris and uh, his ex-wife and Michael Redgrave, for some reason, are like trying to explain <laughs> to him that the people he's sacrificing are actually people, as if he doesn't know that. Um, and then it ends up that those people don't get sacrificed because he goes and saves them anyway. So it, it like half-asses a moral dilemma and then refuses to follow through on the consequences of it, which is completely the opposite of what Sam Peckinpah would do. Oh, that is that is for sure. Yeah, uh, I. This movie is fine. Yeah, it's fine. Like I, I think I think if you're looking at it, you know, if you're trying to let, chew on that moral dilemma, uh, you're gonna come up uh, frustrated. Uh, but if you're looking for a, you know. I don't know. If you're looking for a movie that's got a ski chase in it, it's got some pretty great special effects. Um, There's and... there, the the suspense sequences, the action sequences are are really good. They're really well constructed. It's it's directed by Anthony Mann, who is is without a doubt a a great director. This is probably my least favorite of his movies. Yeah, it's it's a movie that I'm not going to remember. I watched uh, come the next episode of the show, probably. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty painless to watch, though. Yeah, exactly. That's what. Yeah, and and you know that's okay. You know, <laughs> um, but yeah, it it's uh it's it's a movie that, like you said, it doesn't commit to its stakes really. Um, I I thought it was going to like I, I was actually um pretty excited when when uh this woman that we see you know pop up a couple times in the movie who had just given birth to a baby gets on the boat that they're gonna blow up um and i was like oh here we go like this is oh you know we're we're getting into it now but then yeah then it turns pretty silly um and is resolved uh in a in a manner that while based in fact seemed uh highly implausible. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, so it's, you know, but, but once again, ski chase, that was kind of cool. It felt like a bond movie at times, you know, like it felt like, uh, yeah, there's ski chase in, uh, uh, was it honor Majesty's secret service or is yeah. it, uh, for your eyes only? I don't know. I've only seen the first three bond movies. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I'm not. I, it's funny. I'm 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 saying this movie's good, decent because it's like a Bond movie, but I've only seen three. Uh, I don't really care for James Bond that much. This this I think it's it's interesting watching this the same week as as Major Dundee because Telemark feels really old fashioned. Like it, it feels like a a studio product. Like it it, it wasn't. It it was like a, a British film made by uh, uh, the the rank organization which is like also produced like powell and pressburger movies um but uh this feels like like kind of old hollywood where there's there's no real danger that nothing really bad happens to the good people except for michael redgrave because that is michael redgrave's role in every movie <laughs> um whereas shot in the back by a nazi yeah whereas major dundee it feels like that movie could have been made today. Like it's 50 years old, but it feels entirely modern. Like it's, it's there are movies coming from two entirely different universes. 
Well, and you know, to to make this a larger conversation about my frustrations with with getting caught up with these 1965 movies, is that. More often than not, the movies I've been watching, like the Cincinnati Kid and and stuff, are falling into this Heroes of Telemark camp, where yeah, you've got the you've got the great visionary directors that were working in 1965. You got the Peckinpahs, you got Jean Luc Godard, you've got uh, Orson Welles, you've got all these great people that are, are pushing cinema forward and stuff. But when they but it was coming at a time when the general product that was coming out was probably the safest it had ever been. Um, yeah, because like the the whole industry is collapsing, so there the studios are are grasping at anything right. that that'll draw an audience, and they're and they're failing. Right, um, and and it's easy to see why because, like you said, this movie's safe. It's it, it is kind of boring. I mean, I I did have to pause it and take a twenty minute nap. <laughs> yeah, um, before I came back to it, um, and yeah, and 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 it and it and there's no there's no hint of of excitement in terms of uh, you know either technique. Uh, I mean, like you said, it's capable. Anthony Mann totally capable, um, but but also here very anonymous um, for the most part. Yeah, and I don't know if this is just like a phase in Anthony Mann's career, if he's just kind of catching paychecks at this point. Like, I I feel like uh, he made his last great movie with with Man of the West in 1958, and then he had like a huge blow up with the studio and Kirk Douglas over Spartacus, and ended up getting fired. And from that point on, he just kind of made these these like massive impersonal epics, like the the remake of Cimarron or or Fall of the Roman Empire, and and this like I. I don't. I don't see the the Anthony Mann of those great uh, uh, Jimmy Stewart westerns at all in this right. film. Right. Like like those films had like the the you know the courage to explore the the psychology of of men in extreme situations, and this one, I, it just doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't at all. It really doesn't. Um... Which yeah, I mean that's that's super frustrating. I mean, it, it, it's one thing if it had been um, a faceless director, like someone that just a journeyman kind of, you know. But then, but you know, I got excited. You know, I was like, we're going to talk about Peckinpah and Man this week. Like, that sounds great. You know? Yeah, I think you know, I think there's an expectation that comes with a with a director like that. So. You know, maybe I think a lot of I think you know we're disappointed in this movie. Because, because we like his earlier films so much. Yeah, uh, yeah, and is that fair? Because like once again, it's a fine movie. Like I, there's not, I, I can't. There's nothing in this that I find entirely egregious. There's no grading performances. There's no um, clunkiness in you know writing or editing or any of those things. But yeah, it just kind of. Plays out for its two hours and then it's over. Yeah, I don't think Richard Harris is very good in this. Uh, he's better in the Peck and Paw. He's he's really good in the Peck and Paw, yeah. and and uh, he's he's an actor I like. Obviously, we named the show after him. Um, <laughs> but but watching this, I was like, oh, so he wasn't interesting when he was young, and then he made Major Dundee. It was released in the same year, and he's he's brilliant in that. So. You know, I, I don't know. If, I mean, Kirk Douglas is another actor I really like, and he's just kind of like Kirk Douglas on autopilot here. 
like there's like in the very beginning of the film there's like hints that he's like a like a skeevy womanizer Uh, yeah Mm -hmm. but he very quickly just becomes generic hollywood action hero yeah it's yeah i i thought that was really cool in the beginning where he's he's making out with and you know i love the norwegian scientists like all these like gorgeous blonde women yeah Uh, that's scandinavia for you yeah, I, I I love that, and then he's in the dark room like macking on one of them and stuff. Uh, yeah, that like once again going back to hints of like James Bond or whatever. Like it would have been fun if he was this kind of playboy um, type that uh, was maybe you know maybe the real issue was he's not interested really in in regular humanity. You know, he doesn't care about people on a human level. It's he's a physicist. He's more on a theoretical plane or whatever. But yeah, it doesn't get into any kind of that stuff. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, the technically, I think I think this movie is really cool. Like you're like you're saying, like the snow and the snow chase. I think the sound is really cool. There's there's one repeated shot that's like the the image that you remember from this film from like inside, like a the heavy water drip thing that man goes back to again and again, where you see like the drip and the drip speeds up when like the Nazis are getting you know closer to to their goal, and that and that's a cool shot. Um, but, but at the same time you're watching water drip. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And, you know, and, and the Nazis, you know, compared to something like, like the train, which came out the year before, and it's like, it's the same Hollywood. It's the same kind of generation of stars. It's got, it's got Burt Lancaster and, you know, and what Lancaster's doing in that film is, is, is so far beyond what, what Douglas is even trying to do in, in, in Telemark. But, uh, in the characterization of the Nazis, like the, the Nazis and heroes of Telemark are utterly generic, bad Nazis. Yes. Which is fine. They're bad in the train too, but they're like an interesting kind of bad. Like the, the, the like leading Nazi in that, I can't remember who plays him. Is it Paul Schofield? Yeah. Uh, is like an evil Nazi, but he also loves art. Yeah. And that and that, you know, gives him something interesting. It gives him something something, you know, kind of sympathetic and it gives him an obsession to match the the kind of desperation that the resistance fighters are 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 resisting him with. Uh there's nothing like that in this film. Yeah, like, it, it it's always more interesting to humanize a villain yeah. uh than to just make them evil pure evil yeah and 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 that doesn't mean like making them sympathetic like i don't want i don't want likable nazis i just i want interesting nazis and these nazis aren't interesting exactly yeah yeah so yeah i mean it like i said i've been watching a whole bunch of 65 films uh heroes of telemark is is better than the last several that i watched (laughs) um so you know the the curve is kind of skewed this year um, in terms of quality level here. Yeah, I think I think you need to veer more in the experimental 1965 direction. Maybe, maybe watch uh, some of the Andy Warhol movies and kind of kind of cleanse your palate of the 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 late studio mediocrity. Well, hey, I I watched Fists in the Pocket and Pleasures of the Flesh, uh, which are neither uh, um, you know American or really studio based productions. Uh, and they were both uh, pretty lame. Uh, so <laughs> I'm striking out left and right here, mm-hmm. but uh, but so it goes. Uh, so anyway, that's our discussion of Heroes of Telemark. 
Uh, we're going to hear another Chris Christopherson song here. It's called Loving Her Was Easier Than Anything I'll Ever Do Again. In honor of Ula Jacobson, who was a pretty lady. <laughs> right. I have seen the morning burning golden on the mountain in the skies Aching with the feeling of the freedom of an eagle when she flies Turning on the world she smiled upon my soul as I lay dying Healing as the colors and the sunshine and the shadows of her eyes Waking in the morning to the feeling of her fingers on my skin Wiping out the traces of the people and the places that I've been Teaching me that yesterday was something that I never thought of trying Talking of tomorrow and the money love time we had to spend Loving her was easier than anything I'll ever do again Okay, thank you, Chris, uh, for that. And uh, next time on the show, uh, we're kind of in that, you know, end of the year holiday uh, stretch. So we did Halloween last show, Veterans Day this show. Next show is going to be Thanksgiving. Uh, and we're going to talk about, uh, in, in honor of the new Star Wars film coming down uh, in December, we're going to talk about the original Star Wars from 1977. And since it's... <laughs> Thanksgiving, and we're really into puns. We're going to talk about uh, Turkish Star Wars, uh, or better known as The Man Who Saved the World. Actually, lesser known as The Man Who Saved the World, uh, which is a movie that's just totally bonkers, apparently. And it's got, you know, it steals backdrop images from Star Wars and music from Raiders of the Lost Ark, and is just supposed to be totally fun and insane. So, looking forward to that. Um, if you are, you know, so we're recording this show uh, on a on a pretty bleak day uh, in terms of humanity, yeah. <laughs> to say the least, um, which is kind of hard to do, you know. Uh, but uh, I, you know, I want to give a shout out to to Paris uh, and France um, and and what you know. I, unspeakable tragedy that that has occurred there and, and what they're going through um but i want to celebrate uh in my little way uh what makes paris um so amazing 
And so my rep pick uh, this week is for is actually at the Cinémathèque Française, um, which is doing a couple of really awesome series as they always are, um, which is no surprise. They're doing a Martin Scorsese retrospective uh, through I think March, um, but they're also doing Miklos Yancho, uh, mm. former George Sanders show um, director, um, and and they're actually going to be showing the film we talked about, which uh, we both really, really liked. You loved it, Sean. I really did. Uh, the red and the white is playing um, at the Cinematheque in Paris um, a few times, I think, but the date I'm looking at right now um, is November 18th. It's playing there, but it's, it's part of a whole retrospective of the Hungarian director's work. Um, and, you know, Paris is a beautiful city um, and, full of beautiful people and they do beautiful things like show uh entire Mikolas Jansho uh retrospectives so yeah yeah yes I uh agree with everything you just said uh, uh beginning today in New York at the Film Society of Lincoln Center is a retrospective on the films of of Seijin Suzuki uh the uh oddball Japanese director uh, his two most famous films are playing today. That's Tokyo Drifter and Branded to Kill. Obviously, uh, you can't go see that. But what you can go see is on Monday, November 16th, they're playing uh, two of his last films. Uh, there's Pistol Opera, which I haven't seen, and Princess Raccoon, which I have seen, and which is amazing. It's a musical with uh, Zheng Ziyi as a raccoon princess spirit ghost. And she has adventures, and it all takes place on this like highly artificial stage. And it's one of the weirdest and best musicals of this century. It's uh, it's a, a truly astounding film, and I am jealous of all the New Yorkers who get to go see it in the theater. Yeah, I I, I haven't seen it, but um, the title has stuck in my head since you saw it like ten years ago, and you said the word Princess Raccoon, and I was like. Well, that sounds great. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not like a raccoon. It's like the uh, the Pompoko raccoons, like the magic uh, lizard, sure. uh, Tanuki. Tanuki suit. Yeah, uh, yeah, she's that kind of raccoon, and and yeah, it's it's a really great film. It reminds me, uh, weirdly enough, of Eric Romer's uh, Percival Le Galois, uh, which is also like similarly artificial and similarly uh, tremendously fun. Uh, so yeah, if you like that, go see it. Or if you like Zhang Ziyi, and who doesn't like Zhang Ziyi? Uh, nobody. Yeah. Because <laughs> she uh, is also pretty. She, yeah. <laughs> uh, you can find out more about us at thegeorgesandersshow.blogspot.com. We are on Twitter at geosandersshow. Uh, we have an email, thegeorgesandersshow at gmail.com. Um, and we write occasionally... Uh, on seattlescreenscene.com where we talk about new movies uh, coming to the big emerald city. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to close it out like we do every time uh, on the show here. So here's Richard Harris uh, singing you to sleep. Uh, a song, you know, made famous by Casablanca. That's, uh, that, there you go. Mm -hmm. Full circle. Yep. So we'll see you next time. On the Richard Harris show. <laughs>
A kiss is just a kiss A sigh is just a sigh The fundamental things apply As time goes by And when two lovers woo They still say I love you On that you can rely No matter what the future brings As time goes by Moonlight and love songs Never out of date Hearts full of passion Jealousy and hate Woman needs man And man must have his mate That no one can deny It's still the same old story A fight for love and glory A case of do or die The world Always work. 